All right. We need to get started. Welcome back. Those of you who are, li- are watching from home, we're glad to have you with us. For those of you here, it's entirely, entirely too much fun being had, and we've got to remember this is church, so try to calm down and not enjoy yourself. All right, we are, why, jeez, I don't even know. We're in the middle of a series on the book of John. Today we're looking at John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20, and mainly we're going to focus on chapter 12. We'll pick up the rest probably uh, next week or so, but I want to read you that passage uh, before we get started here. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and, I, and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from, come from and where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would have known my father. You would have known my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. You know, we're going to talk about this great declaration that Jesus says, I am the light. We're going to kind of try to investigate what does he mean by that. But, you know, it made me think about many years ago, uh, for for about 25 years, I worked with teenagers. And um, I worked at this church, and they had had a building that in some ways was perfect for working with teenagers. It was an old building. It had all kinds of crazy places. It was fun for playing hide-and-seek and sardines and stuff like that. And one of the things it had was a big basement, and the basement had a lot of tables and then a whole bunch of chairs, almost as big as this room, but with a lower ceiling. And we used to take just a few sometimes that we'd get together at the church and we'd take newspapers and we'd roll them up so they're about that long and they're rolled up and then tape them in a couple places so they're fairly good for hitting. And because I don't know why, but hitting is such an integral part of working with teenagers. And then we would turn off all the lights to make the room because the room is a basement. It has no windows. So we turn off all the lights, and we realize right away, you can still see because there were two exit lights, and it was just enough light that you could make things out. And so I found the electrical room, and I turned off all the exit lights in the whole building, which is illegal. (laughs) Just want you to know that. If we're in the dark and a fire breaks out, we're just totally screwed. The whole thing's over. But but there was one overarching principle. It was fun. So we turned off all the lights. And I'm serious. It's a darkness that's the kind of darkness, I really mean this. I've ne- I never experienced it before this, where you could not see the hand in front of your face. You could take a white newspaper rolled up and wave it, and you could not see it because there was no light anywhere. And then the six of us would get in each corner of the room, and then halfway, I'd hit the switch, and we'd start hunting each other, which is the funnest and scariest thing in pitch black because you stop and you listen and you think you hear something, but you're not sure. So you start doing things like this. And you get on the floor and you crawl and you wave up above yourself and all these things. 
And so what would happen is it would be very still and very dark for about five minutes until somebody had finally found someone. And then you'd hear whacking and screaming. And then if you've a situation like this, you know, you're, you totally lose reason because what happens is you, you get hit once or twice, maybe in the head where it kind of hurts and you go, I got to get out of here. So you run in a table filled, in a room filled with tables and filled with, with, and so you would hear, whack, 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 ow, ow. And you hear, dun, 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 crash. And then you knew what happened. Every other person in the room is going, right towards the crash. Because you know there's somebody there laying on the ground going, oh, oh. So, you know. So we would play this game, and it would be scary and fun and exhilarating and frightening all the same time because it's so totally dark. And then what would happen is, at some point, one person would just, I've had enough. And they would sneak to where the light switch was and flip it on. And everybody would be like, oh, you jerk. You know, they'd get all mad. Why? Because as soon as the light is on, it reveals everything, right? It shows everything. All of a sudden, you go, oh, you ran into that table. You're such a dope. You know, because when you're in the dark, after you move for a while, you just lose your bearings. And that's what happens inevitably. Someone gets scared and they want light because light reveals Light shows the truth in in a matter. Light is what you need. And this is what's happening when Jesus makes this incredible declaration. So let's just talk about this for a moment. And we're going to review some things we've been going over recently, but I just want to make sure everybody's up to speed because we got the background of the claim. What's going on when Jesus says this? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying something incredible here. And and just a key thing there, it says he spoke again to the people. He's continuing to teach in the temple. All right? And in in verse, in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, it just it says that, that he's there for a reason. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go to the temple courts and begin to teach. So there's a great festival that's been going on. We're there the day after the festival ends. This is the setting for us right now. But there's still lots of people. As people are getting ready to leave, people are still coming and worshiping. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, or Sukkot in the, in the Hebrew. It's when they commemorated God's leading them out of bondage in Egypt, into freedom in the promised land. And specifically, what they were remembering was God's provision for them in the wilderness, provision of manna, provision of water, and provision of light and leading. All right? So they just just had been celebrating this. They ceremonially were pouring out water uh, every seven days. And to the idea of the provision of water in, in the desert, the idea that water is life. You know, I mentioned this, Psalm 1, think Psalm 1, the righteous man is like a tree planted by water. The righteous woman is like a tree planted by water. If you're in the desert and you see trees, that tells you something. Life is there. Water is there. And water is life in the desert. And so the righteous person is one who's trans... So what what do we see there? We see we're the trees. The people of God are supposed to be trees that are flourishing and saying, life is here. I'm not the life. I can direct you to the life. A signpost. And so Jesus 
culminates there on the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Who is thirsty? Who is sitting? Who is feeling unsatisfied? Who's feeling unfulfilled? Who's feeling like their life is just not what they'd hoped it would be? Jesus says, I have the answer. I'm the water of life. Now, where is the setting? He spoke these words. Now we're back in John chapter 8. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Okay, this tells us where. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So let's take a look at the temple real quick. You guys know I love this history stuff. I love this stuff of getting. So, so let's figure out where this is happening, okay? Because this is kind of important. Here is a reconstruction of the temple. You can go to Israel right now and see, you know, it's a, on a smaller scale, but that is, as best they know, that's a, as close to the temple as, as they can make it. And uh, again, re- remember, in that right top corner, you see those four towers. That's the Fortress Antonio where the Romans stood guard over the temple. Every day at the temple, there were Roman soldiers and archers on those tower tops looking to see if there's any trouble. Because they knew if there's going to be a rebellion, it's going to start at the temple. All right? So here's another picture of it. This is looking kind of from uh, those uh, archers' towers. And if you see there, it, it kind of towards the bottom right, there's a golden door in, into the, one of the inner courtyards, the main courtyard. When you go through that door, that's called the courtyard of the women or the courtyard of the offering. It was used for multiple purposes. And so it's where offerings were taken. There were numbers of boxes for different things. If you read the story of Jesus with the woman with the two mites, and she drops her two mites, her two pennies in, and Jesus says she gave more than anyone else, that's where that happened, in that room, in that, in that courtyard. Um, about If you walk straight through the courtyard towards that main building, there's a, there's a set of stairs that go up to another door. And during the festival of Tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Festival of the Booths, those stairs every day, there would be a Levite choir and it kind of uh, just huge, uh, about 200, 150 to 200 singers on those steps. And there would be what we would call an orchestra, and they would play in the day, and, and, and it, but it would culminate at night. Because what would happen is, in that courtyard and around the outside of the whole temple, they had these candelabras. And in the courtyard, they were huge. They rose above the walls of the courtyard, and they lit them. Uh, Josephus tells us that you could see the temple lit up for miles because there were so many candles, and they used so many lights. And the orchestra would play. There would be dancing and celebrations, and people would see the light from out. People would hear all this all around as they celebrated the fact that in the wilderness, God led them by light. The great cloud by day with the lightning in it was, led them, and the pillar of fire by night. And those two things were the glory of God, Hebrew, the Shekinah. And they, be- they believed we were led by light in the day and light at night as the Shekinah glory was manifested in front of us, the glory of the presence of God. So now, what's happening? Jesus goes in the day after to teach, and they're taking them down. The lights have been extinguished. It can be, we know, uh, some people write about it, that it's kind of a depressing time. It's kind of like, I remember when I was a kid, and Christmas would come, and we'd get a tree, and we'd string lights, and, and, and sometimes for our kids, we'd string lights outside the house. I mean, we just, we 
we do these, but when I was a kid, we'd do these lights and we'd decorate the tree. And it was all this fun. It was like that tree with lights signified something to me as a kid. All the fun, the food, presents, my greed and all of that, you know, it was all wrapped up in that. My dad uh, was an officer in the Air Force, and he was a very no-nonsense person. So when January the 31st came, in the morning he would say, take down the lights. And a little eight-year-old Bobby would be like, Dad, please, don't take them down yet. Let's go another week. It won't hurt anything. Let's do it. Nope, season's over, lights down. And my mom would start taking down the lights, and she'd get me to help. And it was the most miserable experience. It was like, this is the end of fun. My life is over. You know, everything's no good anymore. Now, man, if one of my kids want to leave these, I'm like, leave it up. Leave it up. My dad was so strict about that. I mean, all I can say is thank God for therapy. But I say with my kids, I say with my kids, leave it up. It's a Valentine's tree. President's Day tree. Martin Luther King Jr. Day tree. It's Easter tree. And if we can keep it up, it'll be 4th of July tree. I don't care. You know, I just remember how crushing that was. But now, imagine here, for a week, for a week, they've been feasting. They've been celebrating. They've been dancing. They've been singing. Celebrating God and what he's done for them in the past, what he's doing for them now, what he will do for them in the future. And the next day, can you imagine? The next day's like, it's over. Lights come down, no more choir, no more orchestra. And Jesus goes into the temple. And, and, and the reason is because they're reminded of something. The Shekinah glory of God used to reside in the temple. But they sinned, and they sinned habitually, and they sinned terribly. And finally, God said, I am leaving that. I will not stop being your God, but you, you won't get that. That's, that's gone. That's gone. Ezekiel called it the Ichabod. The glory has departed. And so here's Jesus in the treasury area, in that court, as everything is being taken down. It won't be lit again until next year. And it's this incredibly solemn reminder that the glory's gone. The light is gone. And he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will never walk in darkness. If you find yourself in darkness, it's because you've lost your way from me. I am the light of the world. You see, he's saying, I'm the Shekinah glory. The light you say you miss is right in front of you. That's why John says in verse 20, he, he was surprised that no one grabbed him. Why? Because of the audacity of the claim. He's claiming something incredible here. Remember, they thought the Messiah was going to become this leader, this political leader, this great warrior. That's what they were looking for. That's what they wanted. The idea of the divine Son of God was something they hadn't even considered. They wouldn't consider it. It was blasphemy to them. It was unthinkable. It was unimaginable. The disciples who were with him for three years didn't get it till the end. They didn't even get it. 
And the key is, what would they think of when he said light? Because, there's, because in the Old Testament, there's tons of references referencing light and God, right? The Lord is my light, David said. The Lord is my light. There's all these references that God is light. And so for Jesus to say, I'm the Shekinah, I'm the light of God, is to say, I'm God. He's making that claim. I'm the source of ultimate life. I am the ultimate truth because light reveals what's true. You know, when we would play that newspaper game, someone would always go for the light switch. Why? Because everything in the room was partial knowledge. You'd hear something, but you weren't sure where it was or what it was. Sometimes you'd even touch something with your, with, and you'd think, was that a person? Was that a chair? Was that a table? Am I going to get hit in the face? You know, it was all partial knowledge because you didn't have the complete picture. And as soon as somebody hit the light, we all got the complete picture. We saw exactly what was going on because light reveals the truth. And Jesus says, I am the light. I reveal who God really is. He is now knowable. There are lots of sources of truth, but I'm the ultimate truth, he's saying. He's saying to them, you're stumbling around with partial knowledge. You're bumping into things you don't understand. You don't know why it's happening to you. He says, I'm the light. I reveal. John told us in uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, John said, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When my kids, I'm on my kids' kick today. When my kids were little, one time what we did is uh, I got this idea. We, we had some, like, outdoor scene, like a mural kind of painted on, on their walls, and then we painted their ceiling black. And then I found glow-in-the-dark paint, and, and I painted the sky. What I did is, you know, there was Orion's belt, you know, and, and uh, there was the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and Aragorn's sword, and uh, some of the other ones that I just made up, you know, but I would have these, these lights. I'd have these little stars, some bigger, some littler. And, and sometimes at night before they went to bed, I'd tell them a story, and then we'd lay on the floor, and we'd just look at the stars, and they'd point out these different stars. It was really fun and cool. It was murder to repaint that ceiling, though, because that black ceiling was terrible. But it was really fun and cool. And then every once in a while, one of their brothers would open the door and say, are you guys doing that dumb lay on the floor thing again? And they would yell, Shut the door, the light's ruining the darkness. And I started thinking about that. No one's ever in a lit room and somebody opens the closet and the darkness invades the light. It doesn't go that way, does it? The light invades the darkness. And he's saying to us, I am the guidance you need. The light can be with you. And in light of what's going on, he's saying the light can be with you. 365 days a year. It's not a one-week thing. It's all the time. The world's confusing. It can be confusing for us at times. What is right? What is okay? It's constantly changing. And Jesus is saying the light will show. The light will reveal. So the third thing is the implications of the change. Verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
light for all, light of life. And he says, I'm the light of the world, not just for a part, not just for them, which totally went against, went, went against what the Jews were thinking at that time. Light for all, not just a group. You know, most religions are for a group. God loves us, but not them. God's for us, for our race, but not their race. God's for our culture, but not their culture. God's for our economic system, not their economic system. We are special. They are not. And Jesus says, no, I'm global. It's every tongue and tribe and nation. It's for everyone. He's the light of the world. And if you follow me, follow me. To be close to someone is what that means. Oftentimes this word is used uh, uh, as, a, as an officer. He tells his soldiers, follow me. Follow my lead. It's often used of a, of, a, of a student listening to a wise man or a wise woman or a teacher, let's say, and taking advice that is imparted and taking it into their lives, being someone who listens and then does what is taught. There's some, there's some incredible implications here. I want you to think about this. Just in that one verse, believing in Jesus is just the starting point of a long process of following. And we need to remember that if light shines into dark places, then nothing is hidden. And so when we think about, I mean, we always got to think about this as we look at Scripture. Okay, so what? Okay, interesting story. Light and dark, temple, what's going on? This is all pretty interesting. So what? Okay, here's some so what's. So we are to be people of integrity because everything will be revealed. We need to be working at being the same person in private that we are in public. People of integrity, people you can trust. You know that feeling sometimes when you're talking to someone and they ask you a question and you suddenly realize there's more here than just that question. This is about something else that they're not mentioning at this time. When you get that feeling, it puts you in a real difficult position because you're not sure how to respond to that person. Why? Because they're hiding something. So we're people of integrity because everything will be revealed. I want you to see something else. We are to live attractively. Why? Because we are now the light of the world. We have the light of Christ in us as we move out and we meet people. And how we treat people is incredibly important. How we treat people, especially those you don't agree with, especially those you have power or control over, how you treat them is incredibly important. Um, I was just at a, at a party for my, my son. His, his wife had graduated um, from uh, school, and, and they, were, they were having a little party and, and they had a bunch of their friends come over. And, and there were a couple of their friends that have gone through some difficult things and, and, and struggles and issues in their lives. And um, as the party was ending, I just went over to them. I said, you guys, I just want you to know something. I just want you to know something. My son and his wife are really glad you came. We're really glad. This meant a lot to them that you showed up at this party that is important to them. I try to say that, those, those kind of things. And, and, and this one guy, he looked at me and he said, 
your son is the most kind, caring, and understanding person that I've ever met in my life. Now, as a dad, it's like, wow, that's awesome. I'm so thankful. But it showed me something. It showed me something. At least in that situation, Cody was living with integrity. No hidden agenda. And that person recognized it. When we live with integrity, when we live attractively, courageously, what does it do? People go, I can trust you. I can reveal myself to you because you won't betray me. It's one of the things I try to say here a lot of times. This church is a safe place. It's a safe place for hurting people because we have plenty of hurting people. We have people right now, I know, that are going through incredible difficulty and sorrow in their life. And we want this to be a safe place, not a place where someone will be mocked or abused, not a place where you will be put down or made fun of. I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care. I don't care whether you're a believer or not. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care. I don't care if you follow some other religion. I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to say where we disagree, but I'm not going to sit here and mock. Because that's not being a person of integrity. And so how we treat people, how we live when someone isn't living, isn't how we live when someone isn't around and isn't looking. How we treat the people, especially the people we disagree with. And especially, especially people that we may have some power or control over. We have to be very careful. We have to live courageously. Because when you are the light, sometimes people will react negatively to it. Sometimes if you are a person of integrity, you will have problems. They will come because of that. Um, when, I, when I was uh, just out of college, I was, uh, I was living in the Washington, D.C. area, and I kind of lucked into a job at a big hotel. And I say lucked in because I had no clue what I was getting into, but it turned out to be awesome. I, I, I was a bellman, a bellboy. I was a bellman uh, first. And then I was the doorman of this hotel. And... Um, it's a fancy hotel, right? Just so you, I made, I made more money than, than I've ever made in my life. It was just an incredible uh, situation, it, except your, your pay is tips, right? That's, that's the bulk of your pay. The minimum wage at that time was about $2.80 an hour for tipped employees. But the tips were unbelievable because all these famous people came, you know, all these people that I, I, I love. I love sometimes we talk about it, like one time the Beach Boys came, and I took them for a sightseeing tour. They asked me, will you just take us sightseeing? And so I got this van that the hotel had, and I put the Beach Boys in my van, and we drove with some of their friends, and they were just talking because they had a concert coming up, and I'd say, okay, here's this, and here's that. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. And, uh, and, they're, and they're talking. They're going, we got a new album coming out. You guys want to hear one of the songs? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a 15 pastor. And all of a sudden, Bermuda, Bahama, come. They start singing. And I'm driving this. I'm thinking, how cool is this? My Beach Boys are my personal friends now. Well, no, no. 
you know, and, and just things like that. And then, you know, they were just so thankful. And they said, look, you know, I don't know what this would normally cost, but here's, you know, they gave me like $400 for just driving a van for 45 minutes. But what I would do with those tips is, and okay, I know I might step on some people's toes. I reported them on my taxes every bit. I just felt like that's something I should do. And all of a sudden, after two years, the other bellmen and some of the wait staff were giving me a hard time. They said, dude, we're going to get in trouble because of you. It's not like you're making all this money and all we make is one-fiftieth of it. We're making as much as you, but we're only reporting one-fiftieth of it. So you stop. You stop. If you follow the light, there will be times when there will be pushback. There will be times when people will be angry. There will be times where there will potentially be negative. It's just part of being a person who lives and follows in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. We have to live courageously. Why? Because when you are the light, some people will react negatively to what it reveals. To what it reveals. Now, that's a very small thing. My life was not in danger. You know, I just had difficult times with some of my coworkers. But it's a small thing. For some people, it's a big thing. For some people, it's their job. For some people, they're told in their job to lie on a form. And that if they don't, they'll be gotten rid of. And I have friends who said, nope, not going to lie, and they lost their job. And so it can, be, it can manifest itself in many ways, but we have to be people of integrity. We have to be people who live attractively. We have to be people who live courageously. And also, we, we have to be people who live hopefully. Why? Because it's going to get better. And no matter what you're going through, God is in it with you. He walks you. There's another in the fire. He walks with you through those times through those most difficult of times. He cries with you when you weep. He knows that pain. Why? Because Jesus lived it. He lived it. Have you been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed. Have you had your family turn on you? Jesus had his family turn on him. Have you had a best friend put a knife in your back? Jesus had a best friend put his knife in his back right up to paying the ultimate price. And so, these four things, we have to remember them. We have to think about them. We have to think, I have to consciously think, this is the kind of person I want to be. Because I'm following Jesus in the light, this is the person I want to be. I have to consciously pray, pray, Holy Spirit, give me the power to live this way, because I can't do it on my own. But remember this, it's a process. When we're talking about Jesus being the light of the world, what we're saying, and this is a very bold statement, we're saying that outside of Jesus Christ, outside of a relationship with Jesus, the way we are, the way we are designed to be is not happening. We're not fulfilling what we are created to fulfill. And therefore, in a very real sense, we're kind of unmade, we're kind of unformed. Yet when we come to Christ, who is the light of the world, he begins to form us. If you have a background in church, you'll have heard this word. This is what they call sanctification. We're being formed. We're being sanctified. 
And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like this. I, I, sometimes I feel like the pace of this formation is going way too slow. I get discouraged. I look back. I think, man, I'm still struggling with some things that I should have, I should have been over with. I just, it's going too slow. I'm struggling with my failures. And for all of us, we can struggle with our failures. We can struggle with our attitudes. We can struggle with our sins. It's interesting that David said, my sin is ever before me. He says, I keep getting reminded of my shortcomings. And I know it can be a struggle. I know you can feel hopeless to change because you recognize the kind of person you are. It was confirmed to me. I went somewhere, and they gave me the Meyer Briggs, and they just said, Mr. Mosley, you're a J-E-R-K. And I was just like, okay, okay. That's not news. That is not news to me. So let me encourage you. We're talking about the spiritual birth. It's helpful to think of it in terms of a, of a physical birth. You didn't come out of the womb ready to do push-ups, right? You came out 99% cartilage with a hole in the top of your head that if you pushed in, it would do serious damage, which was a real struggle for me because whenever we had a kid, they'd say, don't push on that hole. And I'd be like, that one? That one? Just when people say don't do something, it's so hard, right? I hope it's not just me. But after a bit, you're able to crawl. Then maybe after a little longer, you can walk. Then you're able to run. It's a slow process at times. And this is how it is with the Lord with us. It's slow at times, slower than we'd like. But if you're a Christian, your highs and your lows are part of the formation that is making you into a person who begins to look like Jesus more and more. That's what's happening. And the Bible tells us that formation is, is through following the light. And if you're not following the light, then you're walking in darkness. And you're moving, maybe too quickly, but you're not fulfilling what you were made for. You're just shoving things into your life, hoping they will give you what you need. And they'll give you a little joy. They'll give you some happiness for a while. And then it fades and it fails. It will do that. That's the way it works. And you will keep bumping into things, as it were, until the light of the truth begins to shine. The life, many times, that we struggle is not what we'd hoped for. And that's because oftentimes we've placed our trust in something other than God. And when you realize this, when you begin to see this, when the light makes it obvious to you, well, we start at the beginning, right? We start at the beginning. And it may be something that you might need to do. Maybe you haven't done this. Admit to God you're a sinner. See that Jesus is your Savior and he offers this salvation. Commit yourself to him. Commit yourself to follow. But maybe you say, I've already done that. I'm struggling, Bob. I'm struggling. Okay, you need to stop. You need to recenter yourself. Repent. Get right with your Savior. And then I think it's something that oftentimes we neglect. We get excited. We feel like God's doing something, and, and, and we feel like we're moving. You need to talk to somebody, somebody you trust, somebody who's a person of integrity. You need to talk to someone and say, look, this is what's been happening. This is what's going on now. Will you help me? Will you give me advice? Will you pray for me? Will you walk with me? Get someone. Because Christianity is not a team. It's not a solo sport. It's a team sport. We need each other. Because now we can walk in the light. Think of what light, 
how light makes a difference in your life just physically, right? See how it works, what a difference it makes. Now think of it spiritually. It does the same thing. It's life-changing. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you will follow me, you will not walk in darkness. That's what he offers to us today. Every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word. It reminds us of these things. It shakes us. It encourages us. It confronts us through the power of your spirit. You touch our hearts. And Lord, maybe even this morning, you've touched hearts. I just pray that for those people, they would act on it, talk to others, talk to someone they trust, and begin to walk in the light, because that is what we were made for. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.